Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. So uh, we are in the post-State of the Union morning, and I just heard from you the disturbing news that you did not watch. How could you not I, watch? Uh, I crawled in bed with Pat Buchanan last night instead, Bill. I'm oh reading. Oh, my God. It makes it even worse. <laughs> Well, I was afraid you 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 were afraid that I've been listening to too many left wing podcasts, so <laughs> I had to make up for it. So I've been reading uh, right from the beginning, which is his autobiography. I think written um, in the I think it was written like around 1990, something like that. So it, but I'm telling you, man, it it it's a great read and super interesting. Like like he had so many brushes with the law, for example, he must have been arrested numerous times. Mm-hmm. And these brawls, these fist fights he would be involved in, uh, it is just a great, crazy, like one time he got arrested and um, they had like a, the police change shifts, I guess, while they were processing them. And he pretended that he had just showed up and he's like, why are you holding these men? And he's like, these are my friends. I heard that they were, you know, arrested. I'm da- I'm coming down here to get them out. And then the police are like, listen, unless you need to either you get out of here or you're going to be with them. And Pat's like, OK, I've done my <laughs> like turns around and leaves. <laughs> Another story, Bill, um, is where he and his brothers, uh, he has got like eight siblings or something. Uh, but he's got these two older brothers and they managed to get invited to this uh, like debutante ball. And they uh, they got they got basically plastered. And the one brother passed out and they didn't want to make a scene. So Pat had Pat and his other brother had to literally drag him out of the basement through the woods, like over a fence to their car. And then they left him in the car and went back to the party. (laughs) I had no idea. So Bill, instead of watching the state of the union, which I knew, you know, most many years, most years, I would say I I am forced to watch this horrific show and and document it uh, and write a column about it. I had a better night, but I will assure you, I've been up now for for four hours and watched two hours of Morning Joe and listened to two hours of of conservative talk radio. So I, I, <laughs> I I've got my talking points. Um, well, you missed the best one. This is the best day of the union that I've seen ever since. Well, pro- probably ever. Number one, uh, and two, certainly since I've had to like write about state of the unions. Like this had the most. You, know, you you might find once if this person gave a had more oratorical flair, this rose to greater greater height. But as far as like sheer political theater, uh, this was the best one. And I, I know the heels of a bunch of uh, takes pre speech takes like why do we even do the State of the Union? Why can't we go back to when it was a written message? Um, this all this f- phony pomp and circumstance is such a waste of time, and the speechwriters hate it. It's a laundry list of proposals that aren't going to go anywhere. Uh, and here comes Biden, like you know, it's it's, oh, it's it's like you know WWE, like let's mix it up. Let's. <laughs> I know, Bill, <laughs> but I guess part of I guess part of my concern is, and by the way, it did. You know, the clips I saw, part of it reminded me of like the prime minister's questions in Great Britain. Yeah, question time. Yeah, which is good stuff. We should have more question time. He's talking and they're jeering and booing. And at a certain point, he almost engages them in a bit of of a back and forth. You've got Marjorie Taylor Greene there wearing her like 
feathered collar. I don't even know what to describe it. Someone, <laughs> someone uh, said that uh, joked on Twitter about how she was going to make a coat out of the dogs that George Santos like stole or something. I don't even know. Someone's was it an actual fur? Was it a purposeful fur coat? Just like I, I st- I'm, I'm the last person to still wear fur. I, I don't know. Um, it is, it is a look. It is a look. And then of course, uh, you know, uh, Kirsten Cinema, not to be outdone, looked like she was also going to the Grammys instead of mm-hmm. the State of the Union. And I guess that's my point, Bill. The showboating, you mentioned WWE. Um, even if it is entertaining, does that mean it's a good, does that mean that it's healthy or, or positive? Well, what happened? Well, 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 number number one, entertaining is good. I'm, I'm pro entertaining. Politics should be fun. Uh, so I'm, I'm all for I just, it. That's where you and I fundamentally disagree. <laughs> but, it's too fun. There's too many people involved. People now it's, it's people see it now as Hollywood or, you know, or entertainment. And, and it's, that's a problem. Well, you know, some people like Ronald Reagan might say the intersection of Hollywood and politics is not a bad thing. Um, nevertheless, nevertheless, um, the, the, the poison, the poison is in the dose is what I would say. Well, <laughs> um, there was substance here. It, it wasn't just uh, it, it wasn't the breakdown of, 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 of civility. Uh, I mean, yes, there obviously was jeering and so forth. There was a there was a lack of decorum, but Biden used that substantively, you know, most most notably with the Social Security back and forth, um, where so Biden says it was, it was interesting to me because I, I was looking at the at the pre written remarks as he was going and sort of and catching where he was ad libbing, which was there there was a fair amount of uh, and. This is the second time when he ad libbed after charging Republicans with with taking a horrible position to caveat and say, "Well, I know it's not most of you." Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think so I saying, know that wasn't in the prepared remarks? But I mean, I suspect that he that I, w- I wouldn't say ad libbed. Maybe like, don't you think maybe he was a, a, maybe a pre planned ad lib? You know, I, yeah. I think Reagan actually was was a master at that. Um, but regardless, uh, he's saying, you know, there are Republicans that want to uh, sunset Social Security and Medicare. And then the, then that, the booing starts. He was like, well, I know it's not most of you. Uh, I'm not even saying it's a majority of you. But, but you know, come to my office. Check out the proposals. I'll show it to you. He's basically referring to Rick Scott's plan. Yeah. He didn't name him. But Rick's, Rick's, and Rick's, Rick's, Rick's Scott, Scott, I mean, Rick Scott is not indicative of everybody, but he's not a backbencher. He was, he's a U.S. Senator. He was head of the Republican senatorial campaign committee last cycle. So I think it's fair game to bring that up. Now, what Rick Scott didn't want to, uh, what he wants to do is every five years, right? You right. would have to, he, Congress he would have to, to vote to reauthorize. On every law, on every law, not, even, not yeah. specific to Social Security Medicare, but everything. And so Democrats quickly said, well, that obviously includes Social Security Medicare. You want to send to Social Security Medicare. And then, of course, Republicans ran, ran for the hills. So, And by the way, and Mike, the- Lee, uh, Mike Lee is sitting there like, you know, oh, this is ridiculous. Mike <laughs> right. Lee has actually said, like, I, I don't want to misquote him, but basically that he wants to phase out. Social Security or something to that effect in the past. So right. So missile the howling, Biden ad libs. 
So I guess we all want to take Social Security off the, off the books. We're not going to touch you, right? I'm not being, I'm not, I'm not getting exact, I'm sure. But everyone applauds. McCarthy's in the back applauding. Now, of course, as some conservatives, I'm sure, have noted, and I got a piece coming out that I note this so well, McCarthy had already taken off the table. McCarthy had said repeatedly over the past several days, let's take Social Security and Medicare off the table. So in that sense, Biden wasn't pushing something that was all that new for the Republican negotiating position, but McCarthy said it. It wasn't necessarily evident that everybody in the caucus was backing him on that because other individuals have said things that are different. The Republican Study Committee has a proposed fiscal 2023 budget that calls for privatization and other benefit cuts down down for future generations. Um, Yeah. But he got the whole caucus, at least optically, to cheer taking it off the table. So now it is so one, it is 100% off the table. And it looks like Biden engineered it. You know, McCarthy doesn't get the credit for it <laughs> because Biden is seen as, as, as orchestrating this real time negotiation. Um, yeah. Well, and the and other thing, Bill, I, I think the thing that, that started the jeering and the booing was. When Biden was basically saying that Don, he didn't mention Donald Trump by name, but he basically pointed out that Donald Trump had raised the debt more than anybody. And uh, I think that's a factual point that Biden was making. And that I think it, that started. It, it, the it does. La- the it does lack some context, to be fair to the Republicans. I mean, yes, 25 uh, percent of the debt is on Trump's watch, but it's because of the pandemic relief that both parties voted for. Um, if you look at federal spending uh, as a uh, share of uh, GDP, um, it's pretty steady over the, going back to, to Reagan. You know, when Reagan comes in, it's at about 20% GDP. Um, it pretty much stays around there for all of Reagan. Um, when you get to Clinton, it starts coming down. It goes down to 17% in his last year. Uh, and under Bush, it was coming back up to 20. And then the recession hits. Obama takes it to 24 with the Recovery Act, the stimulus. But it comes back down after their budget negotiations. It comes back down to, to, to 20 and it's staying around 20 until the pandemic, and then it goes up to 31, which is the biggest it's been since World War II. Uh, now, under Biden, it's coming down some. It's been right now for 2022, it's at 24.6%. 20, so higher than generally it has been, but down uh, off its peak. So... Biden is technically correct. All this debt's on Trump's watch. So it's unfair for Republicans to say it's all because of your reckless spending. And Biden's other point was that Republicans voted to raise the debt limit three times during during that that time. So why now are you? Yeah. Correct. Which are, and those are and those are fair points. You could still say, okay, but we should do some spending cuts now and get back to around 20 percent. But. Uh, Republicans are living over their skis saying this is all your fault. Um, And so I think 
beyond the Social Security jiu-jitsu move, Biden is also not giving Republicans any kind of pre-negotiation concession to start this process. Whereas McCarthy, he did. He already, he conceded Social Security Medicare off the top. That was his kind of olive branch. And Biden's not meeting him in kind at the beginning of the process, which is unusual for a Democratic president in the third year of his presidency. Um, We have the examples of Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. They have bad midterms. They're getting hit for, uh, for, for, for budgetary deficits, fairly or unfairly. And they both come into their state of the unions and say, we got to cut spending. We got to cut the deficit. Um, Obama proposes a, a spending freeze, which would be an effective cut. Uh, Biden pledges to cut $130 billion uh, from the budget uh, in spending. Um, Biden does not do this. There is no... There's, there's nothing to say, hey, hey I know we're going to cut the budget somewhere. We just got to, we, 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 Obama and Clinton, like, we got to cut the budget, but lay off of Social Security, Medicare, and, and food stamps, and things like that. You know, there was no kind of strategic retreat to try to save something. Biden is just confident. He is sticking, he's defending his record. He's defending the deficit reduction that he's already made. And he's not giving Republicans an inch. Off the top, I'm not saying he's not going to give it down the line, but he's starting the negotiation from a position of confidence, which is probably not where people thought Joe Biden might do, considering he's his ring's not great, did lose the house. Um, there is a confidence there that I think will. I, I can't say it's going to make a difference in terms of the negotiation because I, I, I think they're going to cut spending at the end of the day. Um, I mean, it may be a huge cuts, but it's not going to be Social Security, but it's going to be something. Uh, but as far as shoring up Biden's political position within the party, uh, he, he already did himself a world of good with the midterm. But then just the past couple of weeks, you have like, oh, we still old. And uh, all this poll says that people don't even know his accomplishments. He's losing to Trump by three points. Yeah, I don't know. A performance like this makes Democrats like, you know what? The guy still got it. He's yeah, not, I mean, he, he, he definitely seemed energetic. What I saw, it seems like he was lingering. He was in no hurry to leave. He he wanted the night to go on. He's you know, um, Bill. I would say, having listened to a couple of hours of conservative talk radio this morning, um, a couple of the pushbacks that I heard. One was uh, fentanyl. How Biden talked about the problem of fentanyl. Republicans blame him for the border crisis as being mm-hmm. a a main driver of that problem. And then there was also some criticism that that Biden didn't directly talk about China and the balloon, uh, this the the spy balloon that that seems like a million years ago, Bill, but happened <laughs> well, in between the last is, is, time. Is, is it, I, but isn't that the point? I mean, why, why I would Biden do a whole balloon section <laughs> with from Biden's perspective? It was a thing. We took care of it. Let's move on. Um, Republicans seem really. I mean, they seem sort of angry. Why can't we milk this more? Why can't this be a bigger deal? Because they want to make China the thing. Um, amongst they want spending the thing and China the thing. I mean, that, that's what they really want to do. Uh, and well, Biden's I mean, I, not I letting China. Them. I want China to be a big deal too, because um, I think it's a real problem. But 
you know they want they want to blame Biden. They want to say that Biden is weak, that that this made Biden look weak, or and, and it's just it, it's not quite. It doesn't quite work. It, it, you know, I think there's criticisms you could make of how Biden or the administration handled the balloon, the spy balloon crisis, but it's not a clear, you don't have a clear shot at him. Um, it wasn't like, you know, helicopters going down in a rescue attempt or something, you know, that's going to be, uh, that's going to haunt him. Um, and so, but there, yeah, but, but, I, but anyway, um, that is what they're that is what they're saying today. Whether fetch will happen well, or not, that, I can't say. I mean, that that, that is not going to make Biden shed a tear. That, that that's not that doesn't show that Biden made some kind of misstep that he's made himself vulnerable on that they're going to pound him with now. Um, Republicans are still in a weird place because they they still don't have a unified position on the budget. They don't have a negotiating position, uh, and. They're not unified on Ukraine, which is uh, the bigger foreign policy challenge, at least in the short term. Uh, so they're desperately trying to move to places where they are unified, but they don't have great footholds. Uh, and Biden, you know, Biden didn't see a need to lean to turn into the skid in some area where he's weak. Uh, he stood his ground basically in every, like, even places like, I mean, these were, these were short asides, but uh, he even talked about the Equality Act, which would extend legal protections to transgender people. And even made a point that especially transgender young people, here's a time when DeSantis is trying to talk about the woke agenda in our schools. Uh, that's something Republicans are kind of, kind of like to talk about. And Biden's not being sheepish about where the Democratic Party is on the subject. Uh, so. Uh, it, it's going to put a bigger spring in the Democratic step, I think. Whereas Republicans, they're 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 howling because they didn't get a, cl- a a clear shot at him from this. I definitely want to talk about DeSantis in a minute, but uh, first, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders gave the response. Republicans are are, um, are praising her speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, Republicans are praising the speech. Uh, so it seems like it went better than, say, Bobby Jindal or Marco Rubio's mm. response. It's kind of a thankless job normally. Um, I know she talked about uh, being young. She talked about generational change. She's 40. Biden's 80. Um, she talked about how she's the first woman governor of her state. And Biden, you know, represents a party that can't even tell the difference between women and men or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. So she's got, she had some zingers in there. She showed some contrast. Um, I think the one line that that uh, that I wanted to bring up, she said something to the effect of that the difference these days, uh, the paradigm or the 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 difference these days is not between the left and the right, but between people who are sane and people who are crazy. And that mm-hmm. was, I think, a mistake because Bill, I have to say, even though I am much more close to the Republican Party, you know philosophically or ideologically on, you know, public policy issues. When it comes to sanity versus craziness, I think Republicans have surpassed the Democrats <laughs> in recent years on being crazy. I mean, well, look no further than Marjorie Taylor Greene and and Herschel Walker and Carrie Lake and Donald Trump and Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert um, and George Santos. Uh, so I felt like that was maybe uh, not a, a smart uh thing to invoke. What do you think? 
Well, especially yeah, and I she did it live, right? It wasn't pre-recorded. I I don't know. I don't know. It looked like it. She it did, looked like it was taped live. If she did it live, she should have seen what happened on the floor and say, "Hey guys, take out that paragraph. That's not gonna. That's not gonna land after what we just saw." <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it was pre-recorded. That I I I feel for her. Um, but yeah, well, I, you know what? Um, I don't know if it was pre-recorded. I do know that. They had um, Republicans released some of her themes and that there was, you know, scuttlebutt about mm-hmm. some of the themes that she was going to hit. So I, I don't know if it was pre-recorded or not, but definitely, you know, pre obviously she didn't just wing it. I mean, this was a a, uh, a prepared thing. I mean, this has been the problem for Republicans since Biden, you know, became the nominee that Republicans are very committed to defining Democrats by their, their fringiest voices, you know, AOC, Rashid Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, et cetera, Bernie Sanders to, to a lesser extent. Um, and Biden makes that hard. You know, Biden was in full-blown Scranton mode last night, um, you know, with the exception of, you know, maybe some of the more progressive culture positions that he took, which but he touched on kind of briefly. You know, he had that big section about junk fees, about how it's an outrage that they slap on these excessive uh, fees to make you so you can sit with your family on the airline or when you go to a hotel or when you change cable TV or cell phone providers. Uh, He's talking about America as being, we're not going to be played for suckers. We're going to take care of this. You know, he, he does not sound in those moments like a guy who's been a creature of Washington for 40 years. He sounds like a guy sitting on his couch in Scranton, Pennsylvania or in Delaware. Uh, and it's just really hard to paint that guy as being a, a college professor, you know, a purveyor of critical race theory. It just, it doesn't click. Uh, and uh, yeah, if, I think vibe is, vibe is more important than, Almost anything. I mean, if someone feels like a regular down home guy uh, or gal, it's really hard to to say. To, 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 it's it's hard to tell everyone that they're dangerous and crazy, even if they are proposing dangerous and crazy things. You know, it's just that dog won't hunt. As and, what, what, and what's uh, it's interesting to me that McCarthy is trying really hard to. Sl- Seem normal, uh, and, he, and generally speaking, he comes across as normal. Uh, he he doesn't. Um, I mean, he's he's certainly said certain things over the years, which you know I'd say are not so great. Uh, but his his vibe is a normal vibe. He's trying to present a sober beginning to this negotiation dance. Uh, he's trying to put forth some reasonable talking points. They're devoid of specifics. But to say, you know, we should be able to reduce the deficit uh, and move towards a balanced budget. That sounds fine. There's no, nothing sounds weird about that. We should be able to come to find common ground. That sounds like a normal Biden type thing to say. Uh, he probably told his his conference ahead of the of the state union, hey, I don't, I don't want bad behavior. He's trying to be the school yeah, principal. He hey. Yeah, he reportedly warned them not to. Uh... Not to jeer and all that. And I mean, who knows what would have happened if he hadn't issued that warning. Bill, I I, I think you're making an interesting point here, which is that um, all things, <laughs> there's a huge caveat, but like 
all things being equal, or things being as they are, like based on all the backstory and the context, Kevin McCarthy's actually doing a pretty good job the last couple of weeks of being the leader. I mean, all things considered, uh, he he has come across as, you know, not crazy and then fairly likable. And uh, and there hasn't been a big revolt. Now, there hasn't been a reason to. But um, so far, so but that, good. But, that, but, that, but that's important. I mean, that to the extent I agree yeah. with you, it is that, that he has moved away from the position that supposedly he took to get the gavel. The report was that they agreed that they were going to have a budget resolution that would balance in 10 years, which is the kind of, it sort of sounds like, well, actually, why 10 years seems like a long time frame, but in reality, it would be very brutal cuts to the point where it's almost mathematically impossible. Uh, and especially if you take social security, Medicare on the table, that becomes really impossible. Um, uh, like the plan was supposedly budget resolution for a ten-year balanced budget, and then having spending bills uh, that adhere to that resolution and a debt limit plan that roughly adheres to that too. I mean, forgive me. I mean, this is all this wasn't published; it was all handshakes. So forgive me. That's not literally what took place. But at minimum, it sure seemed like there, that was going to be the negotiating position: ten-year balanced budget. And everything McCarthy has said since then is not that. Uh, there's there's no numbers attached to anything at all. It's it, it's moved toward a balanced budget, which is very vague. And I even saw uh, there were there was a, a, a presentation given in the Republican Study Committee, which is a faction, but a majority faction of the Republican Party that has put forth very dramatic spending cuts in its proposals in the past. But they had a list of debt limit negotiation positions that were also very vague. They didn't have the 10-year time frame on them. So it seems like McCarthy has moved his caucus away from that position without a revolt, without a threat that they're going to move to vacate the speaker. Uh, so that is political deafness on his part. Uh, and it, I think it sets up the possibility of a relatively drama-free negotiation where they can agree to some kind of spending cut, but it's not that severe, uh, and so that the Democrats would would swallow. Um, uh, but it doesn't touch Social Security. It doesn't, you know, really take a hammer to, um, you know, to you know, anti poverty funding, for example. Um, uh, again, I, I can't know if Biden and McCarthy will actually come to agreement early. But you know, McCarthy said, "I want to come to agreement before the debt limit deadline." I think he means that. I think that's what he would really, really, really like to not have a lot of debt limit drama that would potentially fracture his caucus and make his job even harder. Like right now, he's kind of got them at bay. So I think he's trying to signal the Biden, hey, let's just get this done now before it gets really messy. Uh, look, we, you, you, you know I can't have no cuts at all. But even, even the most moderate Republicans, Don Bacon said, uh, we can't do a discharge position without that's unconditional. Um, don't think you can break us off of, of the rest of the caucus to get that. We we're not gonna do that. You know you gotta cut somewhere. So why not get to that place in May instead of September? I mean that, that I think that's where McCarthy's legitimately at. And you know, Biden's gotta decide, 
you know, am I going to get there anyway? Let's just do it. Just care, save, have, have a chill summer. Or is he going to say, hey, I'm, I'm riding high here. These guys don't have their act together. I can, I can play this out. Uh, see what else, see what I can get out of this. Uh, that, that, I can't know how Biden's going to react to it. But I think McCarthy has done himself a lot of good uh, playing a weak hand as well as he's played it. All right. Uh, we're going to keep it tight today because uh, I'd like to get this up because it's timely. And also, uh, you and I both have stuff to do. Um, but I can't let you go, Bill, until we talk about this kind of developing feud um, with Donald Trump and Ron DeSanctimonious. <laughs> and the latest uh, development, but I don't know if you saw this, but apparently right after um, right after Ron DeSantis graduated from some Ivy League school, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, it's un- unclear to me. Um, right I thought it was, was, was at Yale grad or Harvard Law or vice versa. Right after he graduated, he taught, I think he taught and coached for a year at a high school. Yes, that's South, stories maybe about Georgia. And there is a photo, apparently, uh, of him drinking with some yes. of the students. It might have been after graduation, but they're at a bar. And, and by the way, three female students and him, as I recall. And this was tweeted and um, Donald Trump re... Well, I'm sorry, it wasn't tweeted. It was truthed, maybe. Is that Donald true Trump, social? Yeah, Donald Trump re-truthed it. Or what, I don't even know what the nomenclature here, the lingo is. But but Donald Trump clearly suggesting um, probably more than just underage drinking is, is my <laughs> right. guess. What right. uh, th- this is, this is an escalation... I think we could fairly say that Trump has escalated the fight with DeSantis now. What say you? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, I, heard, I remember that story that when it came out, I think last year, two years ago, um, I, I, didn't, I wasn't aware Trump was pushing it again. You know, Trump is never one for holding back and like biding his time and dropping something you know late in the game. He just uses everything he has right away. Uh and so you have to worry if you're Trump that you're shooting your shot too soon. But it's never been the way Trump plays the game. He just hammers you repeatedly. And yeah. you know, DeSantis so far, who's not a candidate yet, so he hasn't had the pressure to respond in kind right away. Like he wouldn't be able to get away with that as easily if he was actually a candidate. Um, so does that make Trump look weak because he's flailing around and DeSantis is like, yeah, whatever, guy? Uh or is this giving Trump a head start that he's laying down a negative narrative and he can do so for several weeks and months before DeSantis even shows up? So when well, DeSantis does announce- my memory, Bill. Didn't Donald Trump allege or imply at some point that like Ben Carson was a pedophile or or something? I have a weird memory of this. Am I wrong I about for, that? I, for, I, I remember Trump saying something. I forget what the specific charge was. There was something to that effect. Now, we I do remember him, Trump, making fun of like, you know, Dr. Carson claims that he stabbed when he was in high school or, or in, in middle school or something. He tried to stab a friend of his and it hit a belt mm-hmm. buckle and Trump right. mocking that like that, that a belt buckle would <laughs> would break a knife. Yes. But I feel like Trump made a very loaded charge against Carson that was um, that was very intense and and something. Uh, really egregious. Yeah. Donald Trump goes off on Ben Carson's pathological temper. 
Um, well, it's worse than that, as I recall. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, it's happened. So a few hours after claiming Republican Royal Ben Carson has an incurable, quote, pathological temper, unquote, compared to something else he says is incurable, quote, child molesting, unquote. Okay. Trump escalated the battle, running over 10 minutes of his rally to attacking Carson's personal narrative, quote. He wrote a book, and in the book he said terrible things about himself. He says that he's pathological and basically got basically a pathological disease. I don't want a person that's got a pathological disease. I. I said, if you're a child molester, a sick puppy, a child molester, there's no cure for that. There's only one cure. We don't want to talk about that cure. That's the ultimate cure. <laughs> there's death. So maybe the, the head. Thing. Maybe the headline is that Trump compared him to a molester or something. Not something to that effect, as I recall. Right. Um, um, let me tell you where Democrats have dropped the ball, Bill. Yeah. Okay. Quick story. I know we're tight on time, but back in like 2012. I was at the Daily Caller, and they were beating the heck out of Mitt Romney uh, because he put Seamus the dog on the roof of his car. Do you remember that story? Yep. Oh, yeah. Mitt Romney put his dog on the roof of the car. Claims the dog loved it. Who knows? But people but, but love animals. The, the, the dog peed or defecated you know, on the, on the car and went down the windshield. <laughs> Oh, was that the funny story that like tagged yeah. Romney or one like, of the Romneys right, told? Like, right, like, what a funny story. I tortured my yeah. dog. He had to go to the bathtub of the car. They were, they were like, you're a weird dude. They thought this was going to be a charming story about their dad, and it turned out to cause him a lot of trouble because people love dogs, and it felt like a form of abuse to put your dog on the roof of the car, I mean, in a cage, but still. Um, And so Romney really took a lot of grief for weeks, and it was a major narrative in the media and on Twitter. And then my colleague, Jim Treacher, at The Daily Caller, somebody put in a comment in one of his blog posts, Obama ate a dog. And it turns out <laughs> that in one of his like memoirs, Barack Obama right. talked about eating. to my father. Yeah, he talked about eating dog. And it's like apparently common, right, in certain parts of the world. But anyway, so what happened is uh, every time somebody like Valerie Jarrett or you know, fill in a blank would tweet something or say something about Seamus the dog, we would not, I probably never did this, but other people would tweet on top of it. Obama ate a dog. And it really shut down the Seamus narrative that, you know, I mean, it it basically became anytime someone mentioned Seamus, somebody would say, oh, yeah, well, Obama ate a dog. So, and, and do you remember? Now, let, let me bring it forward to the future. Ron DeSantis talks about groomers. Mm-hmm. Why not put that picture over top? Every time Ron DeSantis or one of his minions calls somebody a groomer, you just put that picture over top. I well, think. You know, I think. I think they missed yeah. their. I think they missed their moment. Do- well, Donald one, Trump. Donald Trump would have been on top of that bill. Yes or no? Well, one. You know. I mean. You know, obviously, Charlie Chris didn't do that uh, in the gubernatorial race, but it's a thin charge. It seems like he was. Uh, it was a thin charge to say about Ben Carson. I mean, come on. This well, is Donald Trump know, we're talking about. Well, we, Donald Trump has lower standards than Democrats do. Democrats tend not to. They want to have their stuff a little more airtight um, before you know, going down that path. Wait, wait, uh, wait. Ron DeSantis is calling people who want to talk about sex in class. Maybe they're a gay teacher who wants to talk about the you know getting married to a partner. I, I'm willing to believe that maybe that shouldn't be talked about in school, but I wouldn't call that person a groomer. But Ron DeSantis 
and his and his team were calling those people groomers. So isn't it then fair to maybe use that picture against Ron DeSantis? I, I would I think that that's in, in, in the current state state of politics in which we live, Bill. If you were a Democrat, hardball political Democratic operative, that might be something that that you would do. I mean, by, they may do that. I mean, if DeSantis is the nominee in twenty twenty four, perhaps they're going to go there. Um, uh, I don't know off the top of my head, like all the circumstances around. I mean, I remember the story. Uh, I don't know if the photograph is like rock solid evidence or just or just insinuates something. Um, it just insinuates, right? Um, uh, but you know, maybe you you might well see that become more and more readily used by, if not Democratic politicians, but Democrat friendly, you know, people on Twitter, because Trump will have legitimized it. Uh, but you know, DeSantis does, I think, have. I mean, again, I can't know exactly if this is going to make Trump look weak or DeSantis look weak at the end of the day. But I think DeSantis does have to worry a little bit about. And I have this sort of golden narrative as better than Trump, Trump without the baggage. Uh, and Trump's going to be out there pounding me for weeks saying, hey, I do have baggage. I do have things I'm going to have to address in some way. Um, how much does that make Republican? I mean, it's all, it's all about the primary right now. How much does it make Republican primary voters pause and think, okay, who is actually the stronger candidate for, for the general, to the extent that yeah. the electability is actually <clears throat> what's top of mind for them? Uh, does it get beyond the primary electorate enough to, hurt DeSantis in the broader electorate and hurt his trial heat numbers vis-a-vis Biden. Uh, if Trump is doing better than better than DeSantis against Biden early polling, does that make Republican voters think, hey, maybe, maybe Trump still got it? I mean, again, Trump did, was beating Biden by three in the last Washington Post ABC poll. Um, so, you know, Trump clearly is not lollygagging this. There's, there's always been this sense like, oh, Trump's not really into that. Maybe he'll quit. He's lazy. He doesn't want to be humiliated. He lollygags um, the speech. Yeah. <laughs> he lollygags the rally. He's a um, lollygagger. But at the end of the day, Trump is the nastiest campaigner perhaps that's ever campaigned. And he's not going to let any possible line of attack, regardless of how tenuous it is, go unused. Uh, and when well, so, you know how and, he is, and, and, and you could hear him saying, like, look, I don't know. Folks, if I was a 30, if I was a 28 year old Ivy League graduate teaching at a girl's school or you know, whatever, you know, like mm. I, I'm not saying anything happened with him and with DeSantis, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like Trump has that way of. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and it's it throws off your game. I mean, this is what I mean. And, and if you're 20, if it's 2015, 2016. I am sympathetic that you weren't prepared for it. I'm sympathetic that Jeb Bush didn't know what to do with low energy uh, and that Ted Cruz didn't know what to do with your father helped kill JFK. You know, all these weird things like you wouldn't game out. Yeah. In let, a let, let's let's be clear. The odds that Ron DeSantis did something inappropriate are greater than the chance that <laughs> Rafael Cruz or whatever his name is killed JFK. Right. And, and yet that was a major story for weeks and potentially hurt Ted Cruz. <laughs> but Ron DeSantis has never gone through the experience of being attacked by Donald Trump. Few have. And everyone who has had it will say it's very disorienting. Um, you know, I think, you know, um, 
Jen Oliver on, on, on HBO talked about how you know, Trump accused him of uh, you know, desperately trying to get him to be on the show. And Oliver was like, did that, did it, did that happen? Did I, my, I, I didn't think that happened. Did it happen? Let's go check. <laughs> he was so confused by the attack that it threw well, him off. And the worst thing is when it happens on a debate stage and he makes right. assertions, um, he makes assertions as if they are the gospel truth. And then it's, it is gaslighting is exactly what it is. So it is just a total unknown. It's why you, you just cannot predict how this Republican primary is going to go. We've never had a former president in a, in a, in a primary. That's unusual. We never had a cam a candidate so as shameless as Trump. We had one. We have seen in 2016. We haven't seen it uh, again, and we have a and we have a new crop of candidates who've never dealt with it, and we don't know how well they're going to deal with it. To be continued. Bill, share anything you want to plug. Well, I, I wrote about Kevin McCarthy and his debt limit uh, maneuverings for the monthly Washington Monthly that went up yesterday. Uh, by the time this is posted, I should have my State of the Union take up at the monthly as well. Uh, and when I'm done with you, I'm going to be doing the uh, politics, politics, politics podcast. I've been on that show uh, a few times. Uh, so check me out there. That should, that should go up, if not today, later this week. All right. I'm, I'm talking to, I'm supposed to talk to Jeffrey Lord of CNN fame. Uh, my Northampton former... native. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, a former colleague of mine, both uh, no longer with CNN. Um, and uh, I'm also talking to Paul D. Miller, the author of a book called The Religion of American Greatness. And it's about Christian nationalism, which he opposes. So uh, those will be on the Matt Lewis and the News podcast. And Bill, are you, I know you're out. Is it next week that we're skipping or? It's the week after. Okay. So you will see us back here in the DMZ for a special valentine's day <laughs> uh edition next week always a pleasure uh follow us on twitter at dmz show bill share until then take care